Howdy, it's the Texas edition of Party Politics. I'm Jay Iyer, political science professor from Texas Southern University. And I'm Brandon Runninghouse, a political science professor from the University of Houston. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking Texas politics. And we are really uh, headlong into campaign season here, Jay. Yeah, we are. We've got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of, uh, we're just a week and a half from, I guess, early mm-hmm. vote. Yep. Um, and we've got the election just around the corner within 30 days. And so now is when it gets fun and exciting and endorsements and everything political comes into shape here. I love it, Jay. It's coming together. But there's some other policy issues this week, including a deal that has been reached to provide air conditioning for prison um, that was in the subject of a lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. There was a sort of a landmark class action lawsuit that was filed against the Texas Department of Criminal Justice about the fact that there is no air conditioning for many of the units uh, throughout Texas. A lot of the infrastructure for the, the prison system has been very old and antiquated. And so what the deal essentially does is it allows for about 100 prisons statewide to start having air conditioning units in there. They're going to start with the Wallace Pack unit over in Navasota, which is a geriatric facility, and start there. This is sort of a landmark deal. It's a big deal, and it uh, provides something very needed for uh, prisoners. It just really basic humanity. We, it's hot in Texas, Brandon. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, this is, I think, larger uh, than just this specific deal. It is part of a long-standing and really evolving way that Texas has been a quiet leader on criminal justice issues. Molly Ivins used to call Texas a state where, you know, that they would always get tough, and that is get tough, like G-I-T-T-U-F-F, get tough. But the state has really reformed and has really adapted to many of these kinds of circumstances. So we've seen criminal justice reform in all different quarters. So this is, I think, part of that. Well, on that same vein, uh, the governor announced sort of a big move in terms of preventing crime and protecting Texans as it relates to human trafficking, sexual misconduct allegations. What did he uh, announce and and how big of a deal is this or is it just politics? Yeah, so the governor announced a proposal to investigate sexual assault claims at the Capitol and to prevent human trafficking. It includes $22 million for training of local law enforcement and for regional squads to investigate human trafficking cases uh, and to engage in some processing of Texas's backlog of sexual assault evidence kits, which was the subject of some controversy and uh, legislation in the last session that was essentially outsourced, right, that was crowdsourced from Representative uh, Victoria Nevey, and now there's actual money for it. So it seems like the tides have really changed, and I think you've seen a turn here in terms of how the state might deal with this. Is it politics? <laughs> Everything's politics, right? Especially in an election year, right? Governor Greg Abbott obviously has to get reelected. And I think one of the things that this does is to, and we'll talk about this in the, our kind of deep dive, is to blunt any kind of advantage that Lupe Valdez might have, right? She's a kind of law and order Democrat. Well, if the Greg Abbott is able to really push the envelope here and develop some planning to take some of that steam away, then it potentially limits her ability to talk about her comparative advantage on crime and punishment issues. Yeah, I think on on the uh, politics side, for me, it was more about really sticking it to the Democrats. Yeah. As we know, especially on the, the issue as it relates to uh, the elected officials uh, or investigating elected officials, Abbott's proposal is basically saying the Public Integrity Unit of the Texas Rangers would carry out criminal investigations under those specific allegations uh, that would, would be detailed. I think he's essentially saying these details that are out there right now um, against them are almost exclusively for Democratic office holders. There's been almost near silence by many in the De- Texas Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. There's been almost near silence from national figures on the allegations here in Texas. So I think this is a way to tweak it, 
I don't think it's about Lupe Valdez because, as we'll talk about later, I don't think there's a whole <laughs> lot about Lupe Valdez. So to me, it's really about going after Democrats as a whole and kind of blunting this issue that uh, Greg Abbott cares about everyone, cares about people, and the Texas Democrats are the ones playing politics. Yeah, yeah speaking of ethical issues, um, there have been a couple of big things that have come up uh, in the Texas Ethics Commission, which is the agency responsible for investigating um, and levying fines if there are campaign finance violations. Representative Ron Reynolds um, has gone two years without filing a campaign or personal finance report, and he's got about $50,000 in fines. Pancho Navarez has been slapped with a $15,000 fine for violating, like, a bunch of different things on campaign finance reporting. So what is happening here? Does this suggest TEC is toothless? Uh, yeah, it does, because they, they effectively are, right? It's an ethics agency that that puts out fines. Um, they don't really have a control mechanism. You can appeal it. They don't have any criminal power. They don't have any referral power. And so part of the issue ends up being it's this sort of self-policing kind of entity, and it uses the court of public opinion to essentially shame legislators into participating. Um, it's particularly effective during the political process. Right. Pancho Navarro doesn't have a problem, but Ron Reynolds is in a contested primary. Yeah. He's got other issues that he's dealing with as it relates to criminal issues in his private uh, law practice. So this is really, I think, the weapon they can do. But we've talked about this before. Ethics was a big part of some of the reasons that Governor Abbott is going after at least three or four state reps, Lyle Larson, Wayne Faircloth, and Sarah Davis, all supported ethics reform bills that the governor opposed. So this all kind of comes back to it uh, at the end of the day. But no, I don't think the TEC is exercising any muscle. It's kind of a good demonstration of how little they can do. One thing they have done is to increase the fines. I mean, the only reason this caught my eye is because the average fine from TEC is like under $1,000. We're talking about, you know, fines into the 10 and, and multiple tens of thousands of dollars. So this to me is really interesting to suggest that TEC wants to be relevant. And I think that if they continue to kind of push these issues and it becomes a more campaign issue, then it could definitely be something that makes them more relevant than they are. Well, speaking of campaign issues, our very favorite statewide elected official, Sid Miller, he was campaigning. <laughs> and Brandon, what happened? I just can't even say it. It's it's making me laugh. Well, so uh, Sid Miller, who's our uh, our agriculture secretary, um, often branches into things that are not agriculture related. So one of the things he had done this week was to essentially send off a tweet about the memo. And if you want some background on this memo, the Nunez memo, then take a listen to our national episode because we talk a little about it there. So the tweet from Sid Miller said, the Democrats haven't been this upset over Republicans releasing something since Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Yes. In typical Sid Miller fashion, he creates that sort of the equalization of odd things. Yeah, you and know, vulgarity, right? Exactly. Vulgarity, it, right? right? So there's certain truisms in politics as a whole we talk about, right? No one is ever as bad as Hitler. That's right, an absolute right. Yeah. And you don't ever compare slavery or anything related to slavery to things like yeah. releasing a memo. The mundanity of life does exactly. not relate to slavery. Right. <laughs> and Sid Miller, of course, in classic uh, Yosemite Sid fashion, decided to do this. Well, so here's the question. Is it going to hurt him? I mean, he's in a fairly tense primary. He's got a pretty serious challenger from Trey Blocker, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. So do you think that this is something which is troublesome? Yeah, look, I think there are a, there's a cohort of Republicans that are genuinely embarrassed by Sid Miller. He has been a, a below average ag commissioner <laughs> just on the merits of the job. But he's been, I think, this national figure of, of ridicule in some corners 
about the way he behaves and in, in his tweets and his sort of lack of understanding of the body politic, I think it will hurt him. Uh, there's a reason Trey Blocker is in. There's a reason he's raising as much or more than Sid Miller. This is a very competitive race. Blocker's got a lot of support, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, so some of the criticisms that Blocker has had of Miller have been about him being essentially not ready, right for this position. So Miller has in the past unapologetically used social media to say things that have been outrageous, like things like dropping a bomb on the Muslim world or joking about suicide, and he's called Hillary Clinton a vulgar name during the campaign. So he's no stranger to this. I think Republicans, some of them like these kinds of tactics and don't mind it, but I think some of them are worried, and that's why, like you say, he's got a primary challenge. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the governor's race, all the ins and outs on both the Democrat and the Republican side. So, Jay, this week we're going to talk a little bit in more depth about the race for governor. Now, obviously, we've got an incumbent governor, Greg Abbott, who has this week spent about a million dollars on uh, campaign ads. He also has spent some ads uh, for some challengers to some seats like here in Houston. He's running ads against Representative Sarah Davis. But he's also been planning for this reelection for a long time, spending a lot of money on ground and especially on some campaign training efforts. On the Democratic side of things, we've got a bunch of candidates running. A couple of them are, are the more notable. And then, of course, there are some who are not uh, doing quite as well, raising as much money and don't have quite the high profile. Andrew White, who this week has a bunch of good news, right? He's got um, several endorsements that were pretty positive we'll talk about. Um, he's also chipped in a bunch of money of his own to the campaign, about a million dollars. Lupe Valdez, the sheriff, former sheriff from Dallas County, is also running, and she has raised less money but has high name ID. There are also Jeff Payne, and a businessman from Dallas, who suggested he might spend some of his own money on the Democratic side, which hasn't materialized yet. But there's still a race there, nine people running. You never know what will happen. So where are we in terms of how the governor's race is shaped up, and what do we expect in the next couple of weeks? On the Republican side, Governor Abbott is in sort of mid-season form. Um, he's got a well-oiled campaign operation already yeah. up and running. He is a, a good campaigner, and he's got a great operation. On the Democratic side, I think we're, we're looking at sort of an interesting race developing. You laid out some of the candidates. Andrew White and Lupe Valdez are sort of generally considered the leading front runners here. White has had a great week when it came to endorsements. He picked up the endorsement of the Houston Chronicle, the Dallas Morning News, the two largest newspapers in the state and picked up the, a, a sort of an interesting endorsement. The Houston GLBT, which is a major political operation, political pack here in Houston, representing the gay and lesbian community primarily, endorsed Andrew White. It was both the committee recommendation and he won on the floor vote. And this is a significant deal because Lupe Valdez has been a leader in the gay and lesbian community. She was the highest ranking gay and lesbian elected official in Texas. It speaks, I think, Brandon, to her overall level of campaign. The consistent message that seems to be coming out out of her campaign is she has no real idea why she's running for governor. Right. The endorsement uh, for Andrew White in the Dallas Morning News, I think was brutal in the way it aggressively say, stated that she came into interviews ill-prepared, uh, not knowing the difference between 8 billion versus 800 million versus 800,000 in terms of the amount of money that was spent yeah. at the border, not knowing basic functions of state government. This is a real problem. If you're going to be running for governor, there's an expectation that you have a certain level of base knowledge and what's going on yeah. in the state of Texas. And she clearly doesn't. 
And for Democrats, this bodes ill because she's still the leading candidate right now, just based on name ID, being the only Latina on the ballot, um, having a real opportunity to at least, I would be shocked if she doesn't lead going to a runoff. Yeah. But she's proven she's just not a competent campaigner. And yeah. this is a real problem. I think that this is creating too many unforced errors for her. And even if it's the case that she does win, and I think you're right, there's a good chance she could, it's still going to be the case that there's a lot of fodder here about her inability to be able to answer basic questions about Texas government. So when I look at these endorsements for White, it's clear he's got momentum, right? I mean, the money he kicked in, right, the million dollars of his own money that he loaned the campaign suggests that he's in it to win it. And that's, I think, a lot of what people were worried about. It's also the case, of course, she's not raising that much money, right? She's got under $50,000 as of this week uh, in terms of how much money she's raised. So that's really anemic. But so I don't read this so much as being good for him, but rather bad for her. And so I don't know that this is going to be the thing that's going to be the major difference maker, right? Endorsements we know statistically don't matter that much. It doesn't sway voters, but there's a kind of perception that she's not ready for the job. And that's another kind of peg in how the Republicans may campaign against her and also clearly how White's going to campaign against her. Yeah, I don't think it says as much about that Andrew White is running a sort of this perfect campaign. But it's been strong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But to me, I think it just speaks to her lack of competence in her message in the campaign right yeah. now. And as you said, kind of going forward, I'm not sure how she, how they're going to turn around and run against, uh, as we did, we both uh, talked about, sort of the efficient and, and well-funded Abbott campaign. And I think you're setting yourself up for real disaster if she's in there. The other issue is that this race the, on the Democratic side has always been framed as sort of the choice between a um, sort of a centrist and a, tr- uh, and a progressive. The idea that Lupe all this uh, speaks to sort of the identity politics in the modern Democratic Party um, and Andrew White is a, a more pragmatic approach. Right now, I don't think it's a conscious effort that's being made for people to say, you know, we want a guy that maybe can win in November. I think it's a conscious effort of saying she's not doing enough to earn the basic endorsement and that's why we're going with Andrew White. Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. This split in the party is something that really enhances that identity crisis that the Texas Democratic Party feels. My guess is we're talking about a runoff here as a result. And who wins in the runoff, my guess is going to be her because her name recognition, the fact that she's got a Latino surname, is something that really benefits them. But I want to ask you one more thing about White, and that is that he has taken some heat because he had given some money to the Kentucky Republican Party. The explanation was that he was trying to use this money to influence government to be able to get some contracts. So in both scores, it's not great. But Does it suggest that because this came out of a kind of Republican camp that Republicans are more worried about him than about her? I just think on paper, if you look at it, White is clearly the more centrist of the two candidates. He has much more appeal, I think, to independents and disaffected Republicans or just moderate voters as a whole. And so he's clearly a better general election candidate if you believe that sort of that metrics. So it would not be surprising, I, particularly, I think some of these things that he that have been critical for him on the Democratic primary will be assets in, in a general election. The fact that he's contributed to Republicans, the fact that he has a, a more nuanced position on abortion rights than is a traditional Democratic position. Um, so I think puts him more squarely in the center of a general election electorate with the ability to sort of appeal to both sides in a way that, that Lupe Valdez cannot. The basis of her campaign was broadening the electorate, bringing out new people, new voters, creating some level of excitement among Latino voters. We just haven't seen any of that right now. And I think that's what the difference is. And that takes big money. I mean, campaigns are not built 
to find new voters. That's hard to do. You need the party to do that over successive years. That clearly hasn't happened. So that's going to be a problem. But it's also a problem for White. I think you're right. He has a message which can appeal to people, but that's going to take tens of millions of dollars. And he's not there yet. So that's really going to be the critical factor. If he ends up winning, then where's the money going to come from? Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you what we think is going to happen in this primary race. So, Jay, obviously the governor's race is critical to the state and the directions the policies take. And we've got a competitive race on one hand and you've got a strong incumbent on the other. What's going to happen and why should people care? Well, I think in the Republican primary, uh, Governor Abbott's just going to cruise to it, probably look at north of 80, 85 percent. You of mean Larry Secede Kilgore is not going to mount a challenge? No, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. But on the Democratic side, I think it's going to be interesting. And I've talked, we were talking about how poorly we think Lupe Valdez was doing. I still think she makes a runoff. She very well may lead going to a runoff. But I think Andrew White is going to be in that runoff. And I'm going to say in the runoff, is where you're going to see him actually catch her. Mm-hmm. Unless the Valdez campaign can turn things around, I think White's actually positioned himself shockingly to be in a position to win the Democratic primary. And then we'll see what happens at the general election and maybe he can uh, strike some lightning. Well, I thought the Patriots are going to win too. So like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a, make a guess here except yeah, to Austin's say Austin's Nick Foles took care of that. <laughs> hey, there you go, right? Yeah, good Texas connection, yeah. I think you're right. Governor Abbott has got a major war chest. I don't think it's a coronation, but the fact that they're working so hard, I think, is important. He's campaigning like they don't want to miss the wide open receiver, right? They're really putting, I think, enough effort into this and enough money into this that they're looking to win big. Why? I think they need to win big because they need to basically be able to bring up the rest of the party. I mean, there are some real problems. Trump is dragging the ticket. You've got some of the statewide officials, like we talked about, Sid Miller, who are creating problems for their offices. The governor needs to be the stalwart and the real guidepost for Republicans. I think also, too, if they run up those numbers, as historically been true, then the Latino vote is more likely to follow. And so we know that when Governor Bush ran up the numbers on Gary Morrow, that was really a big boon for the Republican Party in terms of getting the Latino vote. So that's something that's positive for Greg Abbott. So there's an incentive for him to do that. The race on the Democratic side, I think, is going to tell us a lot about where the party's going. They're in real growing pains right now. And I think that this will be one way that they can sort of identify kind of what kind of party they want to be. that's a wrap for this week. Remember, we do a weekly national politics episode, too, which you can also download on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Party Politics is recorded in the George B. Geary Performance Studio at Houston Public Media. Thanks to our wonderful producer, Edel Howland, who never lets us turn in our campaign finance reports late. And to our sound engineer, Todd, the governor, Holslander. I'm Jay Iyer. And I'm Brandon Roddinghouse. We'll see you next week. <laughs>